This week on the Recruitment Flex, is it time to bring the recruitment thought leaders to Canada? 74% of companies are failing at recruitment. Remote jobs are still king. And bad onboarding, bad employees. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hi, and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux, and as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Serge, it's going great. I, I detect just a little bit of a sinus infection. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I've been sick so much this year. It's crazy with the kids going to preschool and just with everything going on. It seems like when they drop the mask, like we were talking last week, yeah. I've just been sick more, but I probably should eat healthier. I should probably do more exercise. Mm-hmm. So I'll blame it on myself. I got to oh, change my lifestyle a little bit, but well, hey, you're I, powering through, man. You're, oh, you're not, you're not, having, you're not being a, a man cold. Oh, no, uh, I, I do that this. after. You can ask Diana. Okay, like, I will. I'll text her. She woke up sick this morning, but she never complains ever. I'm the first one to be like, oh, I don't feel good. Oh, no. And I, I'm asking her, like, how do you Call feel? Call my and mom. You, yeah, exactly. I want my mom. Exactly. Yes. Well, Shelly, I, yes. I was looking on Facebook this week and I saw the pictures yeah. of Brooklyn's 18th Thanks. birthday and it seemed like a ton of fun. Um, it really was. A bunch of teenagers together. Seemed like a really fancy restaurant. I'm like, well, it's Shelly. So she's probably going <laughs> to dish out like $20,000 for no. a restaurant. And they probably had like golden truffle. No, and then- no you exaggerate. It, it was a nice restaurant for sure. But I look at it this way. I got a total mulligan for 16 and got a total mulligan for 17. So all the money that I saved, not having to put on a party for her for two years. Well, I made up for it. this. I, I love how you rationalize everything. <laughs> Every time I need to spend money, I'm going to call you because okay. you're going to give me really good arguments to rationalize what I'm doing. But yes. you know, what was fascinating to me, Shelly, what I have young girls. So they're in mm-hmm. six and they're three. They're not in the teenager phase. It was fascinating to see how these girls and guys dress because it's very vintage. It's ill-fitting stuff, stuff that I wore like from not even in nineties. I was thinking nineties. I think it's more eighties. The only thing missing Shelly is neon from what the kids are dressing right now to back when I was a kid in the nineties and the eighties. It's really interesting. That's your take on it because it's really accurate. I would say there is some sort of revival going on about 90s fashion, you're very observant, which is well, really 90s- good because you've got little girls and fashion's going to be a big deal. Yes. Yeah. So I love the fact that you and I picked up on that because it is absolutely true. They're very much throwback to what you guys were wearing in the 90s, for sure. 90s were a great decade for music, but fashion, it was the worst. You know, the jeans that were so big that it would drag in the water. Well, you know, I'm so thankful because I swear if I saw one more pair of fucking Lululemon yoga pants on anybody, I've had it. Like I am so sick of the leggings and tight pants and oh, fuck, I'm so over it. I'm the opposite. I'm a big fan of the Lululemon (laughs) tight pants. 
<laughs> like it's, it's hasn't been here long enough. Chloe. No, I'm really happy that fashion is finally starting to move away from legging jeans. Oh God. Oh, I thought it was great. Well, I guess different opinions, right? Yes. So now it's very loose fitting jeans and tank tops. Yes. Tiny tops and big bottoms. When I drop Brooklyn off at school in the morning, you can see them coming by in waves, crowds of them. And they're all wearing the same thing. Every Uh single one of them. I'm going to use that phrase, tiny tops, big bottoms. It's my type. (laughs) Good. I, another nice. thing that I saw on LinkedIn. So our friends, Hung Lee and Baz Van de Hattad, have been having a great time in Australia. You know, so, so jealous, right? Oh, I am so jealous Man. too. They're touring everywhere. And one of the things that we need to do, Shelly, and I'm going to mm-hmm. ask the audience uh, for feedback. So please send us a message either um, to me and Shelly directly or on our LinkedIn page, would love to know if we held an event across Canada and brought in some of the top recruitment influencers, would you attend? And if you're a company, would you sponsor? So please ring us up. We need to do something here in Canada because we need more thought leadership in recruitment because I'm still thinking we're way behind. And the reason I'm thinking we're way behind, Shelly, is I've been meeting a lot of clients and I'm still shocked, and I want to get your perspective on this, of how many recruitment teams or talent acquisition teams or HR teams have no idea what their metrics are. They have no clue how much they're spending in recruitment or where they're spending it, the breakdown of any recruitment metrics at all. You work with a lot of big companies. Mm-hmm. What's your take? Has it advanced? It is shocking how light companies and recruitment teams are on having their own metrics. Do they even know what to measure? And do you know what the first sign is? Usually recruitment reports into HR. Yeah. And they continue to bang their head against the wall, trying to say, we need to have separate metrics. We've been on this theme for months now around recruiting is and should be treated the same way sales leads are. And the same way that marketing is treated in an organization, that message still isn't getting through. I'm really frustrated because this is such a unique opportunity right now. Executives are listening to us and we're not having business discussions. We're like, we need more money, but there's no business case to it. And we don't have metrics that relates to the business. And this is what I love about smart recruiters hiring success model, where they measure the net hiring score, the hiring velocity and the hiring budget, because they all relate. If your hiring velocity is low, well, you can build a case. If we increase the budget, our hiring velocity is going to get better. Now you're having a business discussion instead of going in and being like, well, we just need more money uh, without any data or any analysis of why you need more money and how you're going to spend it. So it's frustrating. Well, the next question I would ask is what are they using in terms of tools? Do you expect people to be counting on their fingers and toes? If you have no tools, or if you're using tools like a Taleo, which it's really no better than a filing cabinet, right? Sure, maybe you can dump everything out into a CSV file and maybe try and get some reports and data. But it really comes down to what data are you even capturing? If you're having this conversation for the first time and realizing you've got a problem, now you're going to start trying to measure this? 
Yeah, you should have been measuring a long time, but I don't think there's an excuse of the tools that you're leveraging. There is so many third-party data providers that can actually hone it down for you and help you put the data in the correct manner. Like we're talking about right now, one of businesses' main function is recruitment. And we have no data, we have no analytics, we have no business decision uh, excuses that our tools suck anymore. Come on, give me a break. If you're in talent acquisition and that's your excuse, stop it right now because you should be owning that. So that's harsh. Is it? Yeah, because we are in this day to day and we understand the value of measuring and we know that there are great tools out there that are not as expensive as they were like even 10 years ago, right? But even when you think about the very first time I met with you and Leah, you guys asked me straight out, what is your time to hire? What is your cost per hire? What is your days to hire by job family? And I had it right on my fingertips. You did. Do I believe years that, ago. that is 15 years ago? And I think what you're seeing is that it still hasn't changed. 15 years later, it's maybe one in 10 clients that have someone who's actually measuring this and reporting it. Is that Why is what it harsh? Saying? Why in saying that is harsh? Well, first of all, if a company has outdated tools or if they're not using a smart recruiters, they don't have the data. And I can tell you that if you've got your data in five different places, like your internal data, what are the results? What are the metrics we need to be measuring? Pulling that together, oh, on top of being expected to recruit and hire and onboard people, that is almost a full-time job in itself. Yeah. But whose fault is it? A talent acquisition manager, director, VP is in it on a day-to-day basis. They're working in the business, not on the business. And in the long run, they're- Oh, in an ideal world. But I, I know very few. And even if you think of our own personal experience- looking at job ads for talent acquisition manager, always in that job ad, they're saying you must be responsible for full cycle recruitment. Are you strategic or are you tactical? No, you just want another recruiter. Yes, give them the manager title, but if you're asking them to work in the business, they're not working on the business. So that's a really good point. Fair enough. Let's jump into the recruitment insights. I was reading an article uh, from Josh Burson talking about recruiting is way harder than it looks. And the data that proves that is right now, 75% of companies are underperforming when it comes to recruitment. We are in an environment where every company is trying to hire, right? Like nearly every company that you're seeing is trying to hire right now. And the economy in the US is creating 400,000 new jobs a month. The employment rate is like 3.6 in Canada. What is it? Like 4.6. It's Mm -hmm. almost no unemployment. But companies are still relying on very old methods. They're still using what we call, and I hate this term, but I'm going to use it, is the post and pray. They buy a job ad, they put their job on Indeed, LinkedIn, or another job board, they promote their benefits a little bit, and then they just wait for candidates. And that's not working anymore, right? You need to be doing a ton more. If we dig in deeper where the 74% is coming of underperforming. So they put four models in place. The top level being level four, creative and human-centered. They see hiring as a competitive advantage, deeply integrated, bold experiments in non-traditional practice and strategic use of tech. And this is only 26% of companies that are doing this, 26%. The next step down is proactive and personalized. 
So increase focus on personalized candidate experience, increase attention on recruiters, significant investments in brand and employee value proposition. And this was 29% of companies. Mm-hmm. Then we look at standardized and structured, level two, process clearly defined, governance established to control recruiting, global standards implemented for full recruitment life cycle, basic approach to internal mobility. And this is 31%. Then the last one is reactive and fragmented, traditional recruited on as needed base, highly transactional, process driven. That was 14%. The one that I see the most is that level two, that 31%. They have their process clearly defined. They don't make sense, but they're clearly defined. This is usually coming from HR leading talent acquisition. Look at this model and saying 74% of companies are failing recruitment. What's your overall thoughts there? So I love how Josh Burson, he's got this great way of of breaking it down, like into different levels. He's always done it this way, right? And so I was actually very surprised that 26% considered themselves to be, you know, hiring as a competitive advantage. That shocked me. I did not think it was that high. He calls it his talent acquisition maturity model. And I think he's got maturity models for every part of HR, but the standardized and structured, I'm surprised there's even 31% because I really don't believe that many companies have an established and structured process. I really don't don't think so. I, I, I don't know who he's surveying. Like maybe he's surveying bigger companies, but at any rate, I was surprised by 31% claiming to have a standardized and structured process. I'm not surprised. Having a process and having a good process, there's a big difference, right? Uh, (laughs) Good point. A lot of companies have process. The biggest issue is most companies have too many process. They have process to cover every little single base that's not very flexible and actually gives the candidate a worse experience. We've seen it, Shelly. Like we've seen, Mm -hmm. I'm sure companies you've worked with, I've worked with. Yeah, tons of process. It's just a bad process. I disagree. I think that number is probably accurate, but if we dig in deeper and what are key differentiators as far as what actually makes the difference? And he was talking to someone that was running a large oil companies and they did all these tests when it comes to hiring top mm-hmm. petroleum engineers. They looked at college degree, grade point average, prior work experience, salaries, location, everything. And Nothing really stood out except one thing. The quality of the recruiter was the biggest factor when it came to the employees they ended up hiring. Going back to that, hiring really great recruiters can be a massive advantage for organizations when it comes to the quality of talent that they end up with. Absolutely. And I guess it's because I think most HR departments don't really understand what is the the difference between a good re- recruiter and a great recruiter? Is it someone who is proactive and personalized, kind of like his maturity model that they're actually building relationships with candidates and they care about the candidate experience versus taking the approach of here's what we have to offer, take it or leave it. Like the whole approach to how you treat the function of recruitment. And if you love it, then you are more likely to develop those long-term relationships and be really plugged into what people want, what candidates want, right? Versus HR, who typically doesn't like recruiting, and they will find pretty much any reason that there's no candidates out there. We posted the job and nobody applied, right? Rather than... 
we're being very harsh to HR today, (laughs) (laughs) but it's true, right? If you're not taking a holistic approach of how you approach the market, and this is not just post and pray, if you don't have an outsourcing strategy, a strong employment brand, a really good process, you're in trouble. We've talked about this to ad nauseum as far as Mm -hmm. how challenging it is out there. And we're starting to see it become harder. uh, And Mm -hmm. I think that trend is going to continue for, for the next little while. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of executives, like you say, that are paying attention to this because unemployment rate of 3.6, it means it's a full employment market. Yes. And this is halting growth. CEOs are struggling because the progress and the growth that they're looking for, they actually need the people and they can't actually hire them. The business is there and it's at their grasp, but they can't hire to be able to fulfill that business. So it's creating massive issues that they're seeing. And now there's like, we got to fix this, but it's Mm -hmm. not being fixed. Yeah. Great segue into what is working to attract people because in a 3.6% unemployment market, it means people are actively working. And if I'm going to change jobs, we as recruiters need to understand the motivations, right? Why would somebody leave their job? Great article here on the talent blog section of LinkedIn, reinforcing the reality that one of the key reasons why somebody will make a change is they're being forced to come back to the office. And we're seeing the data support this, that when a job is advertised as remote, they're receiving 50% of all applications. And this is just as of February, 2022 despite the fact that it's only 20% of the jobs posted. So think about that, like, holy smokes, 20% of the jobs is getting 50% of the applicants. And why? It's companies that want their workers to return to the office and people are voting with their feet. Again, if you think recruiting is easy, I don't think so. Yeah. Would you want to be a recruiter that is forcing people back in the office? It's funny how many times I've heard in the last little while from an executive, we're better together. And I get it. I get it. This is what they're comfortable with, but the market is going to force them. They're just not going to get mechanics. The data is showing it. Yes. And so what are your options? You need to go back and open up your wallet and pay more. What would it take? Right. I know we've talked about this as well, what would it take for you to accept a job where you had to be in the office Monday to Friday? What would be the rate of pay? Double what I make now, but I, and I don't want to correlate my personal experience into how I feel. Cause I know there's some people that want to go work in an office, but let's face mm-hmm. it. The fact is a lot of workers, especially in a white collar world are not wanting to go back. And I want to reference another report. This one is from Ladders. So Ladders is the mm-hmm. job site for jobs over 100K. What they release is 24% of professional jobs are now available as fully remote. So that's eight times as many as in the first quarter of 2020 and 2.4 times as many as the first quarter of 2021 massive increase. And what they're predicting here is 25% of all jobs are going to be fully remote by the end of 2022. Mm. Uh, Is that scary for a lot of companies, you think? Well, unless they're willing to pay more, right? The the fact is, if they want to attract employees who are willing to come back in, they've got to have something that I can't get elsewhere. We keep saying it, but we are 
watching it unfold almost month by month of what is going to be a really remarkable year, I believe, in business, in talent acquisition, for sure. Because we don't yet know how long people will hold out or stay at their current job. And those that are offering fully remote work, you know, can they do it successfully? Because that's really the next biggest part of this discussion is you as an organization may very well say, listen, we're going to win. So we're going to offer remote work. What is the domino effect of doing that if you're not doing it well? The other thing, and I don't know if it was in this latter study that you just talked about, was the fact that people who made a change last year are making a change again. Yes. Because they took a role thinking it was going to be as great as your original employer. So you've either got boomerang back to your original employer. Again, that could drive behavior because working remote was really successful when you understood how things get done in the organization, when you understand who do I need to call if I need to get a decision on this and how do we go about solving these problems But when you're in a new organization, it can become very isolating because you don't have the relationships that you had before. And that ties in beautifully with our next topic here about onboarding, because it's one thing for us to be sounding the alarm bell to say remote jobs are king. It's another thing to leave employers hanging with, okay, well, if you're going to get in the game of offering remote work and doing it successfully, what's the next thing they need to master? And that's onboarding. Agreed? Yeah, agreed. Onboarding is the one skill set in HR and talent management that most companies don't do very well. I've worked with companies that do it really well. And you see a level of engagement and how they adapt to the company right from the start really quickly. And there's a survey here that says 70% of employees who've had exceptional onboarding experience say they have the best possible job. These employees are also 2.6 times as likely to be extremely satisfied with their workplace. So they're going to stay. But in this particular survey, 71% of people said that there was lack of relationship building. They just felt isolated. So Mm -hmm. 71% feel isolated when they start a new company. Then there's the culture shock of joining companies. So they get sold, like, like James Ellis would say, and I think this is brilliant, the recruiter or the employment brand is selling full days of cuddling with puppies. And then suddenly they come <laughs> in and the company does not match the culture as they've been presented by the employer brand. And yes. this is 62%. No puppy uh, days. No puppy, no puppy days. cuddle days. <laughs> Then technology, they come in and technology Mm -hmm. is not great or it's not set up or it doesn't work. And that was 54% are saying that 46% are saying their benefits, it doesn't roll out as it's supposed to be. What this is telling me when these numbers are this high, guys, we're fucking up on onboarding. We're forgetting how important that is. But I want to ask you a question, Shelly. Should onboarding sit in recruitment? I believe in certain sizes of organizations Having recruitment own the onboarding because there's so many factors. Usually onboarding is owned by talent management, but onboarding extends into what I would consider to be the first six months of employment. Would would you agree? Yeah. And so recruitment, they're a critical piece of the pie because if we're not plugged into what the experience is, then we're selling the full day of puppy cuddles 
when the business doesn't deliver that. There is some ownership and responsibility for recruitment and talent acquisition for sure. And I believe you should own it up to a point, right? The point is when you are bringing them across the threshold, we've made sure that the expectations are set correct. We've got processes in place so that the leader knows exactly what's expected of them to bring this person into their team. Because there's only so much you can do in recruitment, but there's also a lot of things that are triggered. For the most part, a new hire can trigger anywhere from 17 to 35 things that need to happen in order for them to start their first day. You know, and it's the smallest of details that make obviously such a big difference, like technology. So if recruitment knows that we need to trigger all of these other things to happen so that technology is ready for that person, recruitment should naturally own not necessarily the full onboarding experience, but certainly the new hire process. I think there's a difference between recruitment owning onboarding and a recruiter owning onboarding. This is a specialized role that sits into the recruitment department. It could sit in talent management as well. I don't think there's a big difference as long as you do it right. And onboarding is not only checklist. I completely agree. You you need to get that shit down. You, mm-hmm. you need to make sure the technology is up there. They're set up for the first day. There's good communication. But where organizations are failing is the next step that you're talking about is, in my opinion, hiring managers are not taking accountability of proper onboarding and feeling engaged in the organization. So they're properly trained from the start. They're, they're kind of left to their own devices. And I get it. Hiring managers are busy. They're running a department or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. But imagine if you do it right, how much more efficient and effective that employee can be as quickly as possible. So instead of having a nine-month ramp-up time, you can have a two-month ramp-up time. That makes a big difference to an organization if an employee can be effective as quickly as possible. You know, what do you think about employers that say, if you really want to advance your career, you need to be putting the onus back on the new hire? to own that. Not so much their own onboarding, but you know, if you really want to be onboarded successfully within two months, there is a responsibility also on the new employee. I believe successful onboarding makes it really clear about what is your responsibility as an employee and what is the responsibility of the hiring manager and what is HR's responsibility. I I think you make a really good point, but also I think it's an excuse for hiring managers and HR to not give them the tools that they need. Well, no, I'm talking about remote jobs can work successfully if you've got great onboarding. But I think there is one piece missing from these two articles because it doesn't talk about if I'm well suited for remote work and there is an onboarding process, what makes me more successful as a new hire? for a remote job. Everybody just wants the convenience of working from home and not having to deal with the commute and $25 for lunch and $35 a day for parking, on and on. But what is it that you need to be good at yourself to be successful in remote work and in this onboarding process? Yes. I'm going to look at what the data is telling from the people I surveyed here. And a lot, it hits what you're saying. So 83% want more knowledge of how performance is measured. Mm-hmm. Are we not giving that at all? I don't think we are because obviously 83% are asking that. Then there's During 70- their first month, right? In their first, first month, month yes. on the job. 
So if you are not clear, you either ask, because obviously this 83% want more, there's a great opportunity, right? Tell me what's expected of me. How will you know if I'm successful in my job? Wow. Easy fix, right? Yes. And I think there's some onus on a candidate here to ask that question. Like, how am I going to be measured? But it shouldn't get to that point. The other one is 75% want more opportunities to make personal connection with team members. I think the onus is on the employee here, like really good employees find out who's important and they physically reach out and try to connect with them. I I think you can facilitate it by giving them the key players and giving them a sense of who they should be talking to, but this should be led by the employee, in my opinion. This survey, I, I would hazard a guess, assumes that this is in person employment and onboarding in person. Well, does it matter? Uh, Should be the same, right? Well, if you are working remote, who's responsible for creating the opportunity to make a personal connection, right? Yeah, no, I think this is the employee. They should figure out who the the players are and start reaching out and communicating Mm -hmm. with them. But also I'm an extrovert. So maybe introverts, that's a completely different story and they need an introduction or whatever the case is. So I'll give it some credence, but in my personal opinion, it should be the employee. Yeah. Um, Then the last part ties into the first 74% want more guidance on how to be successful in the corporate culture. Wow. I don't even know what that means. Do you know what? The first thing that came to mind when I read that, I thought, isn't that just the, the silver bullet everybody's looking for? Because there's one thing about here's our employee value proposition and here's our guiding principles and mission and vision statement, but here's how shit really gets done around here. If you want to be successful here, don't ask for a remote job. Well, that had been nice to know (laughs) because deep down management resents the fact that you don't have to fight the commute like the rest of us do. That would be, you know, pretty important to know. But if you could figure that out before you even took the job, you know, what did they coin this here? The great regret for new employees. Boy, I sure sure would have been nice to know that although you offered me remote work, by and large, the company resents me for it. Okay. Yes. I think I'll quit now. (laughs) Most organizations, especially big organizations, are honest with themselves about what it does take to be successful in your corporate culture. And if success means you should show up every day, be here at 8, not 8.01, but be here at 8.00. That's what you need to know and understand about the culture and how we behave. I agree. And there's too many cultures, especially in the tight labor market that we're trying to oversell as recruiters. And then when they come in, they're like, yeah, it's nothing like we talked about at all. And then Mm -hmm. the great regret sets in. Because yeah, I saw something, I think it was from Chris Russell that said like 47% of people that quit their job last year are regretting it and they're looking for another job. A lot of it is just bad onboarding, bad setting of the standards, bad employment brand. We are both very clear to tell the truth, show the receipts, be Mm -hmm. authentic more than just BS corporate. And it's affecting your onboarding because you tell this marvelous story and then suddenly someone comes in on the job first day and it's not true. Well, you're a fucking liar. That's how I would treat it. Like you told me all of this and none of it is true. I've changed my whole life. And now what you told me was inaccurate. Like. Screw you. Anyway, Shelly. Yes. 
What do you have going on this weekend? This week is pretty quiet. I'm thinking maybe I should take an afternoon off, maybe get my nails done, you know, stuff like that. Do you believe me? No, I don't believe you. <laughs> I know you're going to be working more than, than ever. Well, you should do that, right? You should take Yeah, I've not taken a day off in a long time. Yeah. No, you never take a day off. You work every day. Actually, no, I'm taking it all back because if you take a day off, you're going to be spending a lot of money because every time I hear you on vacation, <laughs> there's these crazy. So yeah, no, keep working. Keep me away from the Gucci store. And I want to remind the audience, please give us your feedback yeah. on- Our events back? Yeah. Yeah, events are back. Well, and like this would take a long time to plan and get it right, get the right yeah. sponsors, but we're not doing it half-ass, right? And right. we want the big players, the thought leaders that we should be listening to. And obviously Hung and Boz are, are two of those, but there's yeah. others. We can have a kick-ass event with Shelly and Serge hosting. Can you think of a better place that you'd want to be than that? So that's the question to the audience. Are you ready for events? Would you go? Because we're thinking people are dying to get out and mingle and talk about recruiting with our peers. Yeah, I'm not dying out to mingle, but. Well, you've always got a germ or two. So yeah, exactly, <laughs> we're going to keep a mask on you. Perfect, Shelly. Another great awesome. week. Thank you, okay. audience. Thank you, Serge. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. 